This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 78 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me this week in the cockpit, it is Richard Hawes. Hello everyone. And Happy New Year to you, Rich. Oh, Happy New Year, of course, yeah. So this is our first episode back into 2019, and if you were listening to the last show, you'll realise that, you know, sort of in December, the whole DTV sort of um, distribution was drying up, sort of drier than a very dry thing on a dry day, Um, but there's already signs of life in the old genre of DTV, uh, films which go straight to Blu-ray, DVD and streaming media and uh, escape the confines of uh, the cinema. Um, And we'll be getting into that shortly. Uh, This week we have a number of reviews and a few uh, new features as well. So we'll be reviewing uh, The Domestics, uh, Commando Ninja, Night Shooters and Leprechaun Returns. Um, We also have a beginner's guide to the Leprechaun series. And we have a throwback to an older film that um, we've decided to add a new column, a new column, a new feature, um, looking at some films that, you know, people may have missed and overlooked um, back in the day. Uh, what have I missed out, Rich? Oh, the um, the shorts. Yes, so um, each each episode now we'll be looking at a short as well. And this week we have got a, um, a doozy called Earth Earthy Encounters. Um, and also the usual um, suspects we have, um, the washing up section at the end. We've got the coming soon section where we look at some trailers. Uh, but right now it's over to the DTV chart. Right. As you know, if you've been listening uh, for quite a while, you know, we uh, take a close look at the official chart top 100 videos, which includes uh, Blu-rays and DVD sales. And we sort of uh, focus on the DTV releases, stripping out all the other stuff. Now, we've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, we're going into our, what is it, the third year of the show? Third year. Mike, now? Mm. Yeah. So uh, what we've done this time is we've done a bit of a summary review of 2018. Uh, uh, not looking, you know, not spending a ridiculous amount of time on it in terms of rankings and stuff, but just based on the amount of weeks a film did appear in the top 100, uh, and we put together a chart. And so basically we've got a top five for you, uh, which we're going to start with, uh, well, basically, there were 129 DTV releases that charted last year, and these are the top, uh, and we isolated basically the top five. So at number five, we've got, Hurricane, which uh, was a British-Polish movie which uh, spent about seven weeks in the chart. Mm. Uh, there were a couple of other titles that spent seven weeks, uh, Gotti and Jeepers, uh, not Jeepers, was it Jeepers Creepers 3, I think, as well. Mm. But Hurricane ranked the highest out of those three. So that's our number five. At number four, uh, which was at, uh, in the chart for eight weeks, it's Deep Blue Sea 2. Number three, real surprise to me, this one, uh, as it was at the time, Lego DC Superheroes The Flash, which was in the chart for 12 weeks. Wow. I mean, when you consider out of all the animated films we had, you know, the DC and, and, and Warner's, you know, uh, stuff that was coming out, Gotham by Gaslight and all that sort of thing, that this was the one that everyone was interested I mean, The Flash? As, as it, he's not a hero I, I realised that everyone was particularly enthusiastic about, but there you go. 
long running series on the CW channels, you know, on Channel Four. So. Well, that could have, that could be it. Yeah, is that still running? I think yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's been quite. I guess that's because I'm in the sort of movie sphere rather than the TV sphere. I'm not really connecting that well with Flash. I mean, I always remember the old the old Flash TV oh, show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had Mark Hamill and stuff yeah. in it, and so I enjoyed that. But uh, right, so moving on to number two, uh, just one week more uh, in the charts, thirteen weeks. It was uh, Beyond Skyline, which I, mean, I recently saw and enjoyed the hell out of. I was going to say you finally caught up with this. Um, it it yeah. came out back in January 2018, and um, uh, a film I I really enjoyed. So I'm glad you, that you you, uh, you finally got a chance to see it and and enjoyed it. It's it's a yeah. huge, totally different kettle of fish to the um, the first film, isn't it? Even even yeah, though it the sort first of one on quite you know with, with the same sort of storyline. It does. The first one's crap. <laughs> I really didn't like the first one much at all uh, in terms of most most of most aspects of it. Um, but uh, you know, new new guy in the director's chair. I think it was the writer of the first one. But even I didn't think the writing was that good on the first one. But yeah, new approach, bigger, badder kind of. You know, it was uh, Frank Grillo in the lead and stuff. It was a it was a really good package. I thought. Uh, and, and it's one moved, of those films. It it's, it's, it's one of the few sort of DVD films that we come across where the cover is actually in the film. <laughs> you know, it's a true yeah. depiction. They actually pull all that stuff off. It's great. Yeah, you got massive robots and all sorts and yeah. everything. But the big hit of the year, as I think we mentioned uh, in our last show, where we were, were doing a DTV awards. Which, if you haven't listened to it, go back. Uh, we'll talk about you know quite a long summary of the year then. Uh, it's Rex, uh, also mo- known as Megan Levy, which we talked at ad nauseum, but we've never seen. <laughs> Neither of us have seen it. Well, D- David's seen it for on our behalf, so yeah, and he liked it. So there you go. That's all. That's all yeah. we need to know. So it'll be interesting to see if this year we have a, a film as successful as that one. Yeah. Uh, Twenty-three weeks. That's cool. that's pretty amazing. Right. So 2018 is out of the way. We're into a new year now, uh, and uh, a brand new chart for the. Uh, published on the 6th of January, and we're going to get right into it. We've got four this week, starting with a re-entry for Gotti. Yeah, John Travolta's magnum opus. Um, I still haven't seen this. I know, I know a few people have. Um, I, I, th- I think you just need to see the Honest trailer for it, and then that's you'll make up your mind then if you really, really want to sit down and watch it. Yeah. This spent uh, seven weeks in the chart last year. It had gone disappeared completely and now it's re-entered the charts now i don't know what's prompted this uh post uh post you know uh, after christmas sales or something i don't know uh, but the, there it is it's back again uh at number three now we've got th- the the next three films were all in the same positions last week so just after christmas so a couple of new entries came in uh but the the, the one at number three another film that had been hanging around for a long time mentioned it a short while ago hurricane Yep. We both saw it. We both thought it was okay. And uh, that was what, that, what, interestingly, that was at 93 last week in the top 100, and that's mm. gone up to 65 this week. Oh. So uh, interesting shift. Uh, they, they've all basically shot up in, in uh, over the last week. So number two, Death Race, Beyond Anarchy. Yeah. Now, I, I've seen this. I, I, I really like it. I, I can imagine a few people might not because it it's – Arguably, it looks the cheapest of all the sort of death race films, and that's saying something, I suppose. Um, 
of the oh. universal death race one. Yeah, you know? exactly. Not not the Roger Corman ones. Not the Roger Corman one. Doesn't look as cheap as that. Sure. <laughs> not quite. But um, but I I like the direction this one goes in. It it, it changes things quite a bit. Um, with it, with this sort of the background story and things, um, sort of heading off in a slightly new direction, and I think I alluded a while ago that it, it kind of reminded me. It's, it's nothing like it, but it kind of reminded me the sort of the way that um, uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning sort of took hold of the the whole uh, mythos and, and sort of pushed oh, yeah. it in a different direction. Um, so yeah, I, I like it. It's directed by um, oh god, what's his name? Um, Don Michael. Don Paul. Michael Paul. Who also has done um, recently the Scorpion King Book of Souls, which I also enjoyed. Both the films star um, Zach McGowan. Um, I don't know if he is a wrestler or not. Uh, he's not somebody I'm familiar with, but he's definitely sort of filling in that sort of um, kind of bland, kind of muscly action guy. You know, he knows where to stand and knows his lines, kind of thing, uh, and, and looks good doing a few stunts. Um, but yeah, I like this. It's also got Danny Glover in it in um, the supporting role. Um, That's cool. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly a film I think we we might need to cover for next for next episode. I've got a few nominations for next week for next episode as well. You know, uh, I want. I mean, what I'm interested to know is where does it sit in the franchise because two and three were prequels to the Jason Statham remake. Mm-hmm. Is this also a prequel? Is this continuing that Luke Goss line? Uh, no, I think this is after all of that. Um, I think it's after the whole Jason Statham bit. Right, because that would make sense, because I was trying to think if they've moved away from the Frankenstein character, mm. which was the main, the whole thing was it leads through to Frankenstein and then turn, then it becomes Jason Statham's character. Mm. I, I couldn't see how another prequel was going to work in that. Yeah, so if it does... Yeah, this, this definitely borrows from like Apocalypse Now. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I'm intrigued because I loved uh, Day of Reckoning. I mean, mm. like, uh, Universal Soldier. I mean, wow, what a film that is! Yeah, this is nothing like that, but no. it, it has you know little little elements mm-hmm. that pick up on. Okay, and so, number one for yeah. sorry, I was just going to say, what's number one then? Number one, well, for the second week running, it is uh, Final Score with uh, Dave Batista. Yay. See, this this is the film that kind of sort of um, is the proof of the pudding for Sky Cinema, that their little experiment in, you know, sort of releasing films in cinema and on their streaming service might actually work. Um, this this is a joy of a film for action fans. Yes, it's um, it's diehard in a football stadium. Yes, there are you know um, it harks back to um, God. What's the what's the Jean Claude one called again? Sudden death. It's a lot like sudden death. Yeah, a little bit like sudden death. It's Um, better, but it's a lot better. Yeah, it's it's a great cast. You know, so Ray Stevenson, Martin Ford's in there. Is it Martin Ford? I've got mixed up again. Yeah, Yeah, it's Martin Ford. Yeah, it's it's great fun. Um, you know, if you like that sort of film, it is definitely worth seeing. So you can put you can check that out on either Sky Cinema, where you know it turned up a few uh, Mm. two or three months ago, or now say now out on. DVD. I'm not sure about Blu-ray. But, um, I think there is a Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw one in the shop the other day. Definitely. I mean, we had a lot of really good action films last year, and that, and this was one of them. So definitely. if you if you if you like your action films, definitely got to see this one. Yeah.
Okay, it's time for the coming soon section, and we're going to start off with a film which is about to drop onto Netflix. It is called Close and stars Numi Rapace as a um, close protection expert, a bodyguard to you and me, who finds herself looking after a spoiled rich heiress um, just before she's about to be kidnapped by some nefarious people. Um, with um, the, the trailer certainly alluding that it's an inside job. I really like this. I like Numi Rapace. I thought she was really good in. Um, Unlocked. I thought that was a really good um, sort of espionage thriller set in London. This seems to be sort of set just about all over the world. Um, Rich, what did you think of it? Yeah, I was kind of thinking Unlocked too mm. with this one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm, I didn't realise when because I saw the post of it. I didn't realise it was going to be a Netflix uh, release. Um, seeing the trailer, I can kind of see why they might not think it's got legs for for the cinema but it's look you know it looks fine i'm not massively grabbed by it but aren't we getting a lot of action heroin movies at the moment there's just so many of them happening it's all it's always like um uh i don't know numi rapace has done two or three mm-hmm. you know action roles now so she's kind of moving into that vein and you know along with like uh, charlie's theron and stuff i mean this is that's great it is great but I, c- I can think of maybe that that might be a reason why it's gone to netflix you know just sort of a bit of an oversaturation of, of this it, kind of film yeah it's possible i mean this time last year we were getting atomic blonde for example mm. uh, we've had things like peppermint um in the meantime which i still haven't seen yet uh, oh, looking forward to that one yeah. and there's there's two or three others i think that um we haven't even talked about sure. that i believe are on the horizon mm. so um yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely sort of something we need to do a theme episode on, I think. Could do. Yeah, it could definitely do that. But I, I, I really like the look of it. Uh, you know, the action looks pretty clean. Um, not too much shaky cam and all that sort of stuff. Um, do you know anything about the director? It's a female director, isn't it? I don't, yeah. know, um, don't know much about her, unfortunately. I don't know Don't know about her no, either. Yeah, so the director is um, Vicky Jusen, and she's done a couple of films before. Did one called... Born of War back in 2014. Um, been working on a TV series called Crumbs recently. Um, so yeah, no, she seems quite new to this sort of work as well. So actually, Born of War, I'm, I think I've seen that. It's not one I'm familiar with. Uh, it sounds like it might be a documentary, but no, no. It's, it's, after a family is killed, Mina finds out her real father is a terrorist, and behind the killings to get revenge, Mina works for the British intelligence to take him down. Oh, that sounds I've good. Got a feeling, yeah. I've got a feeling I may have seen it, or, or at least certainly the trailer, at least. Mm. But uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll have to check that one out as well to re- yeah. revisit it. Um, yeah, so close coming to Netflix very soon. Uh, I think in, in January. So January the eighteenth. There we go. Okay, next on the list is uh, the Brawler. This is a docudrama, I believe. Um, so. This is based on this. This is the story of the guy who Stallone based his character of Rocky Balboa on. This is this Which I would call Rocky Marciano. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but well, it's not. It's a guy. Yeah, so I think I think he'd heard the story of this guy, sort of, you know, it's a sort of like run of the mill boxer who, who gets a shot at um, you know, the heavyweight sort of title. For some reason, um, and, and you know, Stallone bases you know, the the concept of that um, puts it into the script of Rocky, and and sort of by 
you know, sort of the power of osmosis, um, you know, it sort of boosts this guy's sort of notoriety as well. And it's, it's kind of all about that. Yeah, we're in, it's just, yeah, uh, yet another boxing biopic. Uh, this is uh, Zach McGowan again from, yeah, from Death right, yeah. talking about. Uh, it looks all right. It looks reasonable. Um, a little, um, we've just seen a hell of a lot of, bo- again, sort of one of those genres that's quite, kind of saturated, I think, with, the, you know, with stuff like Creed 2. Hmm. You know, that's like at the way top end. I think this is, you know, much lower on the, lower on the pecking order if you if you see what i mean you know there's, sure. there's something like when we were talking about that uh, film about the indian boxer a few weeks That's ago what i was tiger. thinking of a minute yeah i think tiger looks yeah that one looks like really really good and cool and polished and that and this one's it's got i mean they're trying to do period 1970s or whatever so it's lower budget it's like in in indie kind of thing but i think it looks pretty decent yeah uh, and boxing looks it might be a a different kind of role for uh, Zach McGowan, rather than the sort of hmm. uh, DTV action hero kind of stuff. Sure. This is, I think it's probably more much dialogue. more of a, yeah, I think yeah. it's more of a the wrestler kind of thing for him, like a Mickey Rourke kind of role. Sure, absolutely. But uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, due out soon, I believe. So, and our last note, uh, excuse me again. Our next one is, An Pol- yeah, our next one is Polterheist. Um, this is a British crime slash supernatural thriller comedy um, in which a couple of bungling henchmen um, realise that one of their colleagues has ripped off them, and by them they mean their boss. Um, so they try to interrogate him and fi- force him to find out where the money is and accidentally kill him before they get a chance to, um, and end up approaching a medium um, to help them sort of resurrect his spirit in order to get the information they need. It's, um, it's a, I've, I have actually seen this. It's, it's a pretty decent sort of low budget comedy. Um, I, I must admit, I quite liked it. Some good performances in it. Adapted from a short, I believe. Mm, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, so look, I can't really say about it at the moment. I don't want to sort of, um, sort of say too much because it will spoil it. But for example, the sort of the, the head boss guy, you know, he tortures people by, you know, he's Indian and he, he sort of plays cricket at them, basically. <laughs> you know, sort of like ties them to a post and then sort of spin balls at them and things like this. It's it, you know pretty nasty. But um, yeah, it's a it's, guy Richie kind of. It has uh, that sort of vibe, but it's set in the East Midlands. You know, oh, yeah. so yeah, you know, you get this. Sort I, was, of, I was just going to say, you get, you know, you get sort of this sort of like Birmingham slash sort of Yorkshire accent going on. I wasn't massively sold on the trailer, uh, to be honest, uh, but I did really like the bit when it says, "I want this person, I want that person, I want the guy who delivers his online shopping, uh, yeah. you know, order <laughs> kind of thing." I thought that online supermarket shopping kind of thing. I thought that was a good line that made me laugh, but uh, the rest of it, yeah, I mean, I've. It's always uh, interesting to see these, you know, low-budget British movies uh, trying, you know, uh, yeah, trying well, to give them to put, you know, put a new spin on things, and they're not, yeah. you know, not, it's, it's not just another Cockney gangster movie, basically. Um, you know, it, it um, has its elements I liked in it, um, which remind me of the crew, you know, the one set in Liverpool. Um, there's a whole bit where that because there's a rival gang run, run by Serbians. 
and the, the a couple of Serbians get beaten up by them, and sort of the, the, their boss is going, "What have I told you? You don't mess with the packies." <laughs> it's, like, it's funny. Anyway, uh, moving on. There's, there's, lo- there's loads of these sort of British yeah. gangster meets horror kind of films that I've just not caught up with, like Copies versus Zombies. And, uh... That's another good one, actually. Yeah, that's actually quite decent as well. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, they've got super titles, but they're actually a decent film, sort of lurking underneath. Okay. What's um, our last film? Mike? Our last film is called Damsel. Um, this stars Robert Pat- Pattinson, he of Twilight fame, uh, among others, um, trying his hand at comedy in a western, no less, where he plays a guy who's um, trying to find his paramour, chasing her down across the country um, to supposedly rescue her. But does she actually need or require rescuing? Um, that is the big question of the film. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of sort of quirky details in here. Um, the fact that he's sort of carrying around this sort of midget horse and all sorts of, you know, there's a few sort of gunfights and things. And clearly the woman of his dreams is a lot tougher than he is. Um, but yeah, I, I think this looks really nicely shot. You know, something I've complained about about Westerns recently um, being too cheaply shot. Uh, but this is um, it's, it's it's quite grandiose, I think, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing this one. Have a strong Coen Brothers vibe I was getting from this. Yeah, I mean, you know, recently we covered um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs on the on the other show on the, on the Smoking Lamb, um, and there's certainly a little bit of that in there, but not too much, thank God. I'm quite. I think I was quite surprised at first to see this was likely. So, I mean, there's no guarantee at this stage. You, you just don't know what's around the corner, but likely to be going DTV. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's, I think, part because Mia Wasikowski's uh, in it as well. She's, right. you know, usually pretty high-profile movies, as is he. Uh, I think it's just sort of down to that indie quality of the film that maybe they just, if, if, it, if it is going to hit cinemas, it will be sort of very limited release. It will be. Uh, I mean, you is. know, Westerns do really well on DVD, but they don't do so well at the cinema. You know, yeah. you, don't seem to, you don't see many hitting the cinema screen. Speaking of uh, sort of Western kind of movies, have you, have you heard of or seen The Stolen with Alice Eve? I am, to my shame, I haven't seen it. Um, the reason I say that is because it stars um, the wife of a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Gillian McGregor is one yeah. of the only actresses in it. Um, and I, I still haven't seen it. And it was shot, yeah. shot in New Zealand about two years ago. Um, yeah. Anyway, on that on that lovely note, <laughs> that <laughs> is the um, the coming soon section for this week. Okay, well this week one of our feature reviews is Leprechaun Returns. So to set the scene, uh, we're going to go back and do a beginner's guide to the Leprechaun franchise. Now, this has been going for 25 years. Uh, I haven't watched uh, any of the any of the previous seven films uh, in quite some time, so memory's a bit hazy. But I'm going to do our best, and I'm going to be uh, mentioning uh, a little bit about each one, just briefly, just to catch you up. Right, so let's get started. 1993, the Leprechaun uh, horror uh, icon, uh, as he is now, was created by Mark Jones. He wrote and directed the first film, but the, the film was most famous for um, not not just uh, for giving uh, Warwick Davis his most significant role since Willow, 
one of the roles that he's come to be uh, especially known for in cult circles uh, in the role of the leprechaun. But it was Jennifer Aniston's first big movie. Uh, and uh, this was like a year or so before Friends. Now, yeah. did you ever catch this one when it originally came out, Mike? No, I didn't. Um, I don't know, you know, sort of little characters just didn't really sort of do it for me at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just gave it a wide berth, I must admit, the whole series. <laughs> the whole series. So you haven't seen any of them? I haven't seen any of them, apart from the one we wow. reviewed this week. Wow, so that's that's pretty interesting. So you, you've got a completely fresh perspective coming mm. coming at this one. So right, Warwick Davis stuck with the franchise for most of of its run. Uh, the they were pretty prolific when putting these out. They did um, they did uh, one a year. Uh, they did uh, 1994, 95, 96, and, and then it all uh, sort of got a bit quiet for a while when things sort of started to change. But uh, the second film, which was is my personal favourite was uh, directed by Rodman Flender, who went on to do a pretty cool film called Idle Hands oh, yeah. with uh, Devon Sauer. So he has, he's got like a nice sort of day glow uh, aesthetic in that, in that film. And this one's got a, a little bit of a bigger budget uh, than the first one, some quite inventive, uh, creative kills. Uh, the first film was put out by First Independent over here. Uh, the sequel was put out by Medusa, most notably under the title, uh, well, notably under the title, One Wedding and Lots of Funerals. wonder what that was cashing in on. I wonder, yeah. Yeah, so that that was what was drawing people's attention. So not that it was called Leprechaun 2, they dumped that title. They thought, let's give it that silly title, grab people's attention. So that's probably the one, if 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 people are not overly familiar with the franchise, that, and they're not familiar with the first one for, because of Jennifer Aniston. They'll be familiar. They might be familiar with that one because of seeing it in the video shop uh, with that title. Now things started to go a bit crazy uh, with, uh, from this point onwards. Uh, Leprechaun three and four were directed by Brian Trenchard Smith, who's mm-hmm. done multiple other films, you know, over the years, from stuff like BMX Bandits, I think, to like Night of the Demons two. Uh, our friend Dave Wayne's been interviewing him recently for a. Uh, an essay he's been writing about uh, that uh, Night of the Demons 2 for the for a Blu-ray release. Uh, he's even done massive big budget uh, Christian film called uh, Megiddo, the, uh, the Omega Code 2, which has Michael York and Michael Bean yeah. as uh, as brothers, uh, which is quite funny because one of them is the Antichrist and one of them is the President of the United States. So that's quite that's quite a, a lively film. But in this case, um, what what Trenchard Smith did was he took the Leprechaun to Las Vegas for the third film. And then he put him into outer space for the fourth one, which was sort of a trend-setting kind of thing that was happening at the time. Pinhead started. To, Pinhead went into space. Eventually, Jason went into space. So Leprechaun was one of the first. They really amped up the comedy there. There's some nice little Star Wars jokes because Warwick Davis was uh, in the Star Wars. In uh, was it Return of the Jedi? He was in yep. as Wicket. And one, I think the villain in that movie is. Uh, and I'm probably thinking I might be wrong on this. Hair flick from Alo Alo. All right. So it was like you, you used to watch this guy on Alo Alo, and then all of a sudden he's in the Leprechaun movie. So that was quite funny. Um, now we're moving up a few a uh, few years, and they decide to bring the Leprechaun back to Earth uh, a few years later. Uh, and in 2000, they teamed him up, uh, teamed uh, the Leprechaun, still played by Warwick Davis, up with Ice T. For Leprechaun Jesus. in the Hood, please, no. and uh, <laughs> uh, which was quite fun, but it was basically 
getting a bit desperate at, at this stage. Okay, uh, I before, think. before we continue, I have to read out what it says on IMDb for Go this. On. It says, when three rappers want to get even with a pimp, they accidentally unleash a leprechaun who goes on a killing rampage in the hood. Oh, my God. Jesus. Well, it, you know, how, it's... How do, three, how do three rappers accidentally unleash a leprechaun? Ah, uh, you know, these things. How do they ever do? You know, it's, it's always one thing or another. <laughs> but yeah they am you know it's all played for laughs you know it's just uh, you know the leprechaun's rapping and stuff as well as because he always does his little rhymes and that anyway so it's it's kind of a nice fit in that way but the other thing is it's the whole let's see the leprechaun smoking weed sort of that's the joke uh, and uh, some some kills and stuff but hey having iced tea in there gives it some extra marquee value there's not really been anyone else at his level associated with the series mm. uh, before or since. So that's quite interesting. Um, but what they then did, which was a mistake was that they did Leprechaun back to the hood, which is, which is without doubt the low point of the series in part because it just recycles ideas from the last one. And with a low, with a much lower budget and with, if I recall correctly, barely any gore uh, and considering the, you know, the, the standard of the the kills and that in especially like the first two films which were you know made for theatrical release and probably did see the inside of some screens in the united states as well as elsewhere mm. um this was just massively low budget sort of desperate i think it's only ever been released once maybe by uh, sony um the most of the leprechaun movies have been re-released over the have been released by various people over the years but um lionsgate uh, who own the franchise basically put out all you know have, have like done re-releases of all the films in about 2007 or 8 and they've never they've never released as far as i'm aware i might be completely wrong on this but from what i could tell only sony uh, have released leprechaun back to the hood so that's uh and, and sticky fingers was the substitute for ice tea in that movie basically not playing the same character but the, the rapper element sticky uh, fingers from the blade tv series Exactly, yes. Okay. And whatever else he's famous for. I'm not overly familiar with the guy, but yes, Blade, which, again, I never really watched. I think I might have tried to watch the first episode, and that was it. It was a good series once they realised that the guy playing Blade was crap and they should spend as little time with him as possible. <laughs> then, it, then it became a good series, but it wasn't Blade, obviously. Uh-huh, yeah. So that was in 2003, so 10, uh, 10 years after the original film was made. The franchise was pretty much killed, um, and it was released, say, about four or four years later over here. Now, what they decided to do in 2014 was do a reboot. Of course they did. Let's, uh, let's go in a different direction. Uh, let's recast the character. Let's join up with WWE no. for this enterprise. Uh, so they, they cast the WWE Hornswoggle or Swaggler, or whatever his name is, in that role. But then, and now, and this is the only film in the series I have not seen, because I've just heard it's so terrible, and the concept just looks so far away from what the original was. Um, I've heard that you don't really see very much, not really a lot happens. Uh, it's, it's, it wasn't the, the big relaunch of the series as was ex, you know, intended. It's called Leprechaun Origins, kind of going back, starting all over again. So what we do, so what they've done now is they've said, okay, we, we, we shouldn't have done that. 
Let's go back, which leads us nicely into Leprechaun Returns. Okay, so our first review is Leprechaun Returns. Um, taking a note out of the, or taking a page out of the Halloween franchise book with a recent um, episode of that series, um, Leprechaun Returns jettisons every single film apart from the original and is a direct sequel to that. So we start off with a little flashback showing how the Leprechaun ended up in the well, um, also letting us know that shamrocks are deadly to it because he's forced to eat a shamrock before being thrown down the well and then we jump forward 25 years and find the daughter of one of the original sorority sisters going back to help um, renovate the place with um, some some other girls and a couple of boys who happen to be along for the ride uh, one thing leads to another the leprechaun gets loose and he seems pretty miffed that his pot of gold has gone missing okay so rich you wanted to know what i thought of this um, yes, absolutely. I, I thought, for the most part, I, I mean, I, I've got two two different mind, uh, mindsets for this film. The bad side of it is this is a film about a shitty little dwarf, okay? And a shitty little dwarf isn't particularly scary to me, uh, even in the sort of within the context of the film. I have a little issue with a little guy sort of running around. Um, I, I, you know, there are a couple of jokes where people sort of kind of deal with him very quickly when he's in mid-sentence and things and just sort of like kick him across the room or something. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I have an issue with the threat level on show. On the other side, I love the threat level on show um, <laughs> because um, unlike some of the other episodes that you were alluding to there where you know, they weren't particularly gory or what didn't really sort of show anything. This shows quite a lot. It has some pretty decent sort of effects going on. It has some sort of ropey ones as well, but there are a couple of really good ones. Uh, one in particular inv- um, involving a solar panel, I thought was yeah. rather well done. Um, yeah, I love it that. Rem- it reminded me of something out of the um, the Final Destination uh, franchise, yeah. um, that, that one. Uh, somebody gets killed by a drone. Yay. Couldn't, you know, <laughs> help cheer for that one. Um, and not only that, but the script is actually pretty smart as well. This um, follow, sort of follows an edition of another film we'll be talking about later on, in that it actually has decent characters. Um, you know, they're not just there to be sort of killed, although that, that happens. But you know, that there's, there's a bit of a brain going on, uh, the bit, bit of um, you know intelligence at work. Uh, there's some sort of quite sympathetic characters. Uh, for example, I liked um, Ozzy, the, the taxi guy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at first you think he's a bit of a creep, but um, you know, or you're not sure if he's a creep or if he isn't a creep, and then he turns out to be really sweet and nice. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a couple of good gags where people just sort of walk off. You know, uh, they sort of say something profound and then just turn around and walk off and then realise. No, no, we, we, we can't just walk off. This, you know, I'm in desperate need of medication. We need to go with this person, <laughs> uh, which I thought was quite good. And the ending has a great gag as well, which is very uh, reminiscent of classic Simpsons, where you see the antagonist sort of stripped of all his powers, all his mystique, everything, and is just having to hitch a ride. And it's like... You know, it's just that sort of mundanity of the situation. After everything else we've sort of seen, it's like, this is what he's reduced to, this sort of mundane act. 
It's it's kind of like in the Lego Batman movie where we have to watch Bruce Wayne cooking his dinner in the microwave, or um, you know, um, Batman just sort of going up an escalator really, really slowly. It, it, it's that sort of thing, um, which, you know, the banality of it, I thought was really good. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. As I said, I thought it was quite smartly done. Um, it was really well shot. There's, there are, you know, despite my misgivings about the actual character of the leprechaun, there was a really great gag with the um, the mailbox. I thought that was really well done, um, the way that was lit with the eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I find myself recommending this film. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is the, the, the way forward where sort of franchise is just going to go, you know what, those those last three films we did were shit. Let's just forget about them and sort of go back to the one that was good and then try and do a sequel to that. Well, what's interesting with the Leprechaun series is they never had really any continuity. Right. So, you know... As I was saying, that, that so if you watch Leprechaun One and then Leprechaun Two hmm. back to back, everything's kind of changed in the second one. The mythology is has been adapted and it it's, it doesn't follow on. The character has changed. It's it's quite it's quite unusual. And then the um, let's say they went to Vegas, they went to space, uh, did the thing. There's not apart from the fact that they mainly had the same guy playing the character. He did change in certain ways, and they never really made an attempt to follow through so it's quite interesting that with this one they've deliberately done that by going back to the original recreating the ending of the first film Mm. Uh, they've recast uh, the character warwick davis isn't back for this but the guy who they put in the role probably his fake irish accent probably isn't any worse than warwick davis's i think that's Uh, one of the things i the main problem with was his voice you know if, if they'd dubbed the voice to something sort of more menacing it might have helped, but because it's a yeah. sort of, it's this, oh, did, oh, did, oh, playful. Yeah, but that's what it's all, that's the whole thing, though. That's that's the thing of the, the franchise is that he is, he is that. There's that whole playful, comedy, it's a comedy, a horror comedy uh, element, and this one's got the, uh, the, you know, the big gore. Now, another thing that's interesting about this is that it's classified or was made as a TV movie for the sci-fi channel. So yeah, it's, right. it's been it was shot in uh, South Africa, I believe. Yeah. Well. In Cape town. Yeah. So the, well, that was quite a surprise, but the, the um, that they, but I've seen a couple of stuff, things that have been shot in South Africa that may, you know, look like urban America. Okay. Uh, in, in particular, there was actually a South African production called slash, which was pretending to be American, you know, they cast American actors and whatever they pretend to be in America, but it was a South African film. Um, but the uh, getting back to to this, the the set, the location, everything looks like. You know, I don't remember. You know, exactly what the place, the area looked like in the first film. Mm. But it, they've done a pretty good job of um, you know making it look continuous. Uh, the twenty five years later kind of thing is handled well. There's some you know as you would get with this kind of thing is like he's you know he's moved forward in time so there's some things that he's not familiar with fish out of water elements but then they forget that and they get him making a global warming joke and you're like well how does how has he even thought about global warming really it wasn't that much big of a thing uh 25 years ago but uh, maybe i'm wrong maybe it was i don't know but the uh i say i think the script's quite fun the girls you know that it's a mainly female cast and they're all cast you know positioned as intelligent women although that some of them do make stupid choices but they're they, they are very clever 
uh, and certainly clever in some of the other characters, you know, some of the male characters and, and that, that happened in the film. Ozzy is a returning character. As far as I'm aware, he's the only one in the franchise, uh, the only actor apart from Warwick Davis to appear in a second Leprechaun film. So it was really nice that, to see him back from the original. I like the continuation, the sort of reference of as cliched as it is of having the main character be the daughter of the lead character from the first film. Yeah. So that, like you say, there's a bit of a Halloween kind of thing going on there, whether they had that in mind, I don't know. The, um, gr the graphic violence was really a, a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, as you, you've already mentioned the, uh, the uh, solar panel scene, yeah. but there's the Leprechaun's rebirth is really good. Uh, the, and the trowel death scene uh, towards the end of the movie is pretty cool as well. There's loads of excellent stuff in here. Uh, and even the, the sort of mini leprechauns running around, uh, you know, was uh, was pretty good as well. So overall, I was very satisfied and I thought it was a, an excellent return to form. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I hope this is a, you know, a sign of things to come for these, these sort of franchises. You know, maybe somebody will do a decent Nightmare on Elm Street sequel so it follows on from Dream Warriors or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely plenty of scope, and I think most of these franchises are going to go on and on and on. You know, I mean, they've recast, for better or worse, they recast Hellraiser, and they went in a couple of different directions with that. Hmm. They tried, and, and they've done it with this, which is more successful, one of the more successful ones, at least. And uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing with the Sci Fi Channel connection was that they did um, Jeepers, well, not they did it, they they broadcast Jeepers Creepers 3 That's right. uh, around this time last year, uh, which That's I think right. was made for cinema release, but was bought for television or something like that. It wasn't made by the Sci-Fi Channel, whereas this was a, a production that was, the gestation was with Lionsgate working with the Sci-Fi Channel, as far as I'm aware. But they got in uh, Steve Kostansky, I believe is his name, who was uh, one of the directors of The Void, which right. I keep meaning to catch up on. Yes, that's uh, that was very highly praised. Absolutely. So you've got these interesting directors who are doing these other non-franchise movies like uh, like The Void and then like the guys or guy did um, the Puppet Master film, which was oh, yeah. out in America last year. Yeah. You know, they they've got credibility from the from this other work they're doing. And they're going, you know what, actually, I want to work with these franchise characters that I love. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that quite exciting as well. Yeah, absolutely. How are you going to score it? How would you? How would, uh, I'm going to give it seven out of ten. I'm going to join you on a seven, definitely. Yeah, definitely worth seeing. Our next review is Night Shooters. In this one, a small group of filmmakers are doing some pickup shots on their latest uh, zombie movie called Night of the Living Dread, I believe. Um, when across in another disused building, they spot a gangland execution going on. Um, they get rumbled by the gang, who decide that they need to get rid of these um, unwanted witnesses, so they storm the building. Now, lucky for the uh, filmmakers, among them is a martial arts expert sl slash stuntman who um, jumps in to sort of help and also their um, explosives expert turns out to know a bit of a teamish um, improvisation as well um, now this is one of those films which i've been sort of following closely over the past year 
from its gestation. Um, Jean-Paul Lee is a martial artist who we became sort of familiar with early last year. Um, and so he's been involved in numerous projects, uh, especially Jailbreak, the um, is it Indonesian, no, Cambodian um, mm-hmm. action movie. Yeah. Um, and sort of really impressed with that. And, you know, this was his next big feature. And the trailer blew me and Dave away um, when we saw it, when we reviewed it earlier. And, you know, I've been waiting forever for this film to come out. And I I even ordered the the advance sort of special edition so I could get to see it early. And then Royal Mail screwed up and I didn't get it till Christmas, which was a real shame. Um, Now, if we had done a, a conventional top 10 films of the year, Rich... Night Shooters would have been my number two. Wow. Yeah. Um, obviously, Operation Red Sea is my number one, as everyone knows. Uh, but Night Shooters is pretty damn awesome. It's it's a low budget. Um, it's got a cast of unknowns. Most of the cast work really well. There's one particular actor who kind of overacts, unfortunately. Um, tends to sort of shout his lines out. But other than that, it's it's done really well. The, the camera angles and everything um, are, are superb. It's it's really well edited together. Um, the action by Jean-Paul Lee himself is really well done, and and the story and the script. You know, there, there's some really funny moments going on, um, little mishaps and things, and, and sort of lines of dialogue, which just make this an absolute delight of a film. I, I absolutely loved it. So tell me a little bit, uh, apart from the film itself, about the way they distribute it. Because as far as I can tell, you can only buy it from the film company's website. I think that is true. Yeah, I think they're sort of independently distributing it, which is kind of weird. You know, I'm I'm surprised it hasn't sort of got... I mean, I don't know if if they've got a deal with one of the streaming sites coming up. So maybe Mm, they're trying to get it out before that happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just going to quickly. Because it's fully certified, you know, it's been on. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Gone yeah. through the BBFC and everything. You've got the certificate on the front. Mm-hmm. So it looks, I mean, it's even listed on Amazon, but it's not it's available through Amazon because I'd say they're not selling copies. Although I, I wouldn't be surprised to see people starting to sell copies that they'd obtained from various sources on there. But well, yeah, so for me, it would have been really good if I could, have, if it was uh, available on VOD or something. But like, as you say, there may be um, something in the pipeline, uh, and that they decided to go this sort of early release. You know, not early release, but sort of yeah. get the ball rolling prior to I think uh, a, yeah. a bigger outlet I think later they down the line. Like, I think they did have like a Kickstarter thing going at one point as well. So. Um, you know, obviously, there was those sort of DVDs going out or Blu-rays. Ah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is directed by Mark Price, who made a big splash probably about ten years ago now. Yeah, ten years ago. With um, Colin, which was you know it was a zombie movie filmed purely on an iPhone, um, and it was actually pretty decent as well. You know, it was, um, for for what it was. So you know, he's he's been sort of jobbing around a bit and. This, this, yeah, this, this is just amazing. For, for you know, um, it, it really is just sort of so refreshing um, to get this sort of British 
action movie. I mean, I was watching it and I was having to remind myself that the action scenes I'm seeing were from a British film, you know, um, with a British director. It was, um, yeah, they, they are that good, basically. I thought it was quite interesting to compare the release strategy for this with, and I know it's probably a lot big budget, but like Redcon 1, hmm. which is like a, obviously a big sort of zombie kind of thing, but that's also a film that's being distributed in a very kind of unique way with like a touring cinema that's release right, yeah. uh, ahead of it, uh, ahead of its DVD release, which, which we will hopefully cover uh, in, uh, I think it's February when it comes out, but yeah. very keen to see, to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in terms of budget and, you know, sort of equating this with something else I might've seen, where, where would you pitch it in terms of sort of aesthetic and the budget and stuff? Yeah, it's a difficult one to say. I mean, it's all set at night. Um, I'm just sort of trying to see if they had anything about the the budget for the film. They don't, unfortunately, on IMDb. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much they actually made it made it for. But, uh, what would you compare it to, though? What was when you when you watch it? What sort of gets into your mind of like, ah, this reminds me of? Well, it doesn't really. I mean, uh, that's, that's the thing. You know, I, I suppose. You know, maybe something like Attack the Block or, you know, even, even the Raid, I suppose. You know, there's mm-hmm. elements of those sort of things. In a bit of Die Hard thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it sort of borrows from a sort of few various sources, I guess. So I've seen the, uh, the trailer for Tom Payton's Black Site. Are we in a similar? Are we in a similar sort of range with that? Do you think? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think maybe Tom Payton's one is probably a bit bigger budget. It's actually got mm-hmm. some special effects. This is this is mostly sort of practical stuff. Yeah. Uh, apart from a few sort of explosions, um, but yeah, no, I, I just I just really liked it. Really enjoyed it. I'm very keen to see it. Uh, I would say that there's a lot of uh, say John Paul Lee's got so much going on at the moment. I've I've probably seen one or two things he's done, but not a huge mm-hmm. amount. Uh, and Jailbreak. Uh, being one of them i haven't watched that yet uh, and he's got some short films i'm really interested to see uh, coming out as well so th- this could be a big year for him yeah absolutely and um, yeah he's, he's even going to be in the um he's be doing acting, doing stunts for hobson shaw as well it's going to be interesting oh yeah yeah it'll be good if he gets a decent role in that hopefully you know it's like i mean it might not be a, a massive character but if he can get some screen time yeah uh, that would be really excellent I didn't. I didn't know this, but from the looks of things, he's also in Vengeance too. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a film to be particularly excited about later in the year. Absolutely, we we shall see if if um if that is true. Maybe I should drop Joss uh, Ross a line and sort of see see if he knows anything. Do you know that John Paul Lee was in your film, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I'm giving this a nine out of ten. High praise indeed. Absolutely. That's, a, that's definitely uh, high on my list to see. Talking about films that are high on my list to see, um, The Takedown, yep. another British movie, was literally taken down or, or, or came offline from Amazon now this, recently. This is, yeah, we're sort of segueing a little bit here. Yeah, segueing completely, yeah. But this is, this is an interesting thing, and I don't, I don't know if this is the same situation or not, but we we're both aware of what happened with a film called One Cut of the Dead, aren't we? Yes. Whereas, whereby somebody managed to get it put posted onto Amazon Prime. Um, unofficially. Unofficially. Whereas, uh, I think it's Third Window Films who are yeah. supposed to be doing the proper release and have actually sort of put out a plea saying, you know, please wait for the DVD release. Don't 
stream it from Amazon Prime. And I'm wondering if that was the same situation with the takedown. Where... Well, I'm not sure because the, the official, t uh, I think it was the Twitter, was saying it's out on Amazon, but I, it doesn't mention UK. So I'm wondering if it was put out in, mm. it was supposed to go out in America and that and got put out in the UK yeah. by mistake. Could be. Yeah. Uh, it's a real shame though because I was I, I really wanted to see it and I kind of put it off <laughs> and, then, and then it's gone. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, so there's because uh, again that's a uh, John Paul Lee, uh, which is why yes, he has a couple of scenes on there as well. He's got a couple of scenes, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was quite um, mm -hmm. uh, that was a, a, a bit of a kick at that, but uh, hopefully it'll it'll return in some form or other this year and I'll be able to uh, in the not too distant future and I'll be able to check out both of those. Absolutely. Our next film is Commando Ninja. This is a, fa a fan film. That's all I can really call it, I suppose. A, oh, no, it's a, just a, a fan loving, film. A loving homage to 80s action cinema. In this, John Hunter is a Vietnam Green Beret veteran. He's half commando, half ninja, whose daughter has been abducted by a secret ninja organization led by a Central American dictator who wants to create a new world order through time. Um <laughs> This throws everything at the screen, and I mean everything, every single filmic action reference you can think of. Every, you know, it copies scenes from loads of different films. Um, everything from Predator, Commando, um, Highlander, even makes an appearance in there. Terminator. Um, countless ninja movies, of course. Um, even they even copies um, the scene from um, the Force Awakens when um, John Boyega's character sort of pops up on the screen. They, they even sort of do a good version of that. Um, I, I I really liked it, and but at the same time found it difficult to watch in one sitting. It was just, it was. I don't know. It was just an overload of of various references, and you know, I mean, it. it there's no sort of like um, sort of running narrative. There's no sort of one through line through the whole thing. You know, I, I yeah, I, I I agree with what you're, to get the negative stuff sort of out of the way first. I think there is definite pacing issues with the film and structural issues. It does feel like more like a series of vignettes. Than yeah. a coherent. You get the feeling it was, this was filmed over a, a long period of time, maybe, and, and you know what, what did we do last time? You know, continuity is, is isn't so high on its list. It's it's more a loving homage. But having said that, it is filmed so well. You know, um, the the people behind the camera are, you know, they should be doing like proper action movies. Really. Well, this is kind of like. Um, probably the, the the highest, uh, the sort of the most high profile kind of movie that's done this kind of thing is Machete, I think, and yeah. that kind of went for that sort of faux, you know, you know, uh, dated kind of look, and and didn't really didn't it didn't work because it was mixing too too much that was modern with the old style. Whereas this looks it, it looks of the period. It's so it, I don't know if they use the, the cameras and stuff from the time or they've just done it digitally or something but it, it looks it looks 1980s which is fantastic and it sounds like you know the score and everything's all perfect people have done this before you know kung fury and that recent yeah. mm. recently uh, this is another sort of version of the same idea basically uh 
but say, I mean, they throw in references to the Predator, you know, and that's flawless. Mm. You know, the, the, what, the, the sound, the visuals of everything of, of this Predator, which they tie in with the ninjas, <laughs> being the ninjas, mm. which was great. Uh, the, there's this uh, dubbed soundtrack thing so none, none of the it's it, none of the actors are actually record you know speaking their own lines live or, or even adr it's all done by uh, other performers or whatever which really works nicely uh, the credits are great although it really bugged me that the title didn't appear in the opening credits which is a stupid little geeky thing but the uh yeah i, I kind of lost pace with it at the end when it kind of went into the you know the, the final act i thought that was a misstep uh, although it was, especially when, so we'll say another film that has done this kind of thing is Turbo Kid, a couple of years yeah. ago, and Turbo Kid gets a reference here. Uh, you, you kind of see a, a, a skeletal form, which I think yeah, is supposed to be. Yeah, with the helmet, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be that. But that was, I think that was going too far. I think the, the, the trying to one-up Turbo Kid was a bit, um, hard, a bit, a misstep. I don't think that was appropriate to do with this. I think they, maybe they should have sort of cut and run a bit earlier yeah. rather than going into that kind of realm. Mm. Uh, the film was originally only supposed to be 45 minutes, so it would have been a short film, but they ended up uh, with it classifying essentially as a, as a feature because it's an hour and eight minutes long in total. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, I, was, I, I had an absolute, say, flaws aside, had an absolute blast with it. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. There's so so you know you could have a drinking game just going through, you know, all, all the various sort of references and things that come up. So um, what about the? Oh, so I've just got to mention one joke in particular. So the girls doing the aerobics, uh, or or you know during the opening credits mm-hmm. or whatever, and the doorbell rings, and then it's it's really subtle. They don't sort of labour on it, but she goes and uh, as the doorbell rings, she gets undressed and puts on a towel to go yeah. and answer the door. <laughs> Which I thought was just a, a fantastic sort of little soul gag. It's not like it's not hot shots or naked gun or anything in terms of its level, but this is this is this is a spoof, uh, and the dialogue sort of is great at times. I think there's some quite cool lines and that. And the guy who's basically Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie, he's pretty cool. But his voice doesn't quite match, and, and <laughs> which is great. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but this is a French film. Really. Yeah, I so know that at all. so the whole thing was fi- I think filmed in France with French, you know, actors and and stuff, and they've added the uh, American voice dub. And what they've done is they've done different dubs for different territories. So there's a, uh, on the and they've released this all on YouTube. Um, amazingly, it's all for free uh, at least at the moment. And they've released a version in Polish uh, as well as uh, a, a few other languages, I think. Which I think is a pretty. Uh, I, I thought, thought that was a really nice touch mm. to the film, sort of give give the, that that international life of making the dubbing of it a feature of the film to sort of give it that sort of differential. So it feels like an American film, but it's not. It's French, <laughs> uh, and they the, the French have a, seem to have a, or you know, and other Europeans seem to have a particular love uh, for this era of films just like we do really yeah. and the there's another film an, another short film which i complete uh, which i keep meaning to watch called le reservist right i think plows a similar furrow to this it's, i think it's also french uh, and is also like a commando kind of 
yeah. uh, storyline. But I, I can't say that for certain because I haven't actually watched it yet. But I, it was made in like 2012. But I keep meaning to check it out. How are you going to score this one? I have to give it an eight, definitely. Um, although I don't, can I just say another thing I didn't really like was, was like mentioning it was doing Predator and Commando and all those 80s stuff. Throwing in Home Alone, I thought was going a bit far <laughs> because that's the 90s. And I was like, don't make it about the 80s and then put the 90s stuff in. And then they did the Jurassic Park stuff, which was fun. Yeah. You know, it was silly. Yeah. But again, I, I would have liked it to sort of be more purely of the period. So that was a, a sort of minor gripe aside. But the director, ben, Benjamin Combs, you know, is clearly one to watch. He's been making uh, fan film and stuff for video games and i think he actually works for a video game company making trailers and and whatnot you know clearly very very talented guy who again you can't tell it from his name but apparently he's he's a french guy um yeah eight out of ten definitely it's really really good really well well really worth seeing definitely it is very worth seeing it's on it's on youtube we'll put a link on there in the um in, in the footnotes um yeah definitely 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 worth a watch i'm giving it a seven out of ten um, as I said, you know, this, this I did find it a bit difficult sort of sitting through the whole thing in one set setting, uh, in one sitting even. Um, but when, when I was watching it, I was in, enraptured. Okay, let's move on to our next film. Okay, our f- next review is The Domestics. Um, it is post-apocalyptic time. And a few weeks or months after the world has gone to shit, thanks to some bombers releasing some sort of virus into the atmosphere, uh, we have, well, the world has turned into, um, or has degraded itself into various factions. We've got the Nailers, we've got the Plowboys, the Cherries, the Gamblers, and the Sheets, are these main gangs that people have sort of flocked to for support and and all the rest of it. And then we have the domestics, the ones who are sort of trying to cling on to civilization. And within one of these communities, we find Nina and Mark West, who um, decide they need to drive 200 miles south to Milwaukee um, because they've lost contact with Nina's parents all of a sudden. Uh, it's a very perilous journey they have to go on uh, because they have to traverse various um, gang territories along the way. Um, I, I make no qualms about the fact that I absolutely love this film, Rich, um, and I shall go into a bit more detail shortly. What did you think of it? I liked it. It, it touches on a, a lot of genre tropes we've seen before with like the road movie and the post-apocalyptic movie and uh, the, 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 the film is quite episodic, you know, which are kind of kind of comes with the territory with, the, with this kind of thing. So a few weeks back, I watched the Russian film Tanks for Stalin. It's a completely different kind of setting of a movie, but the same kind of stuff happens. They're trying to get from one place to another, and then they fall afoul of one person or another, and there's various tense encounters. So this has got a lot of really uh, interesting uh, of, the, of these tense encounter scenes. Uh, which I like. There's parts of it I liked more than the others, but a lot of the set pieces I thought were really good. Uh, I particularly liked the gamblers uh, mm. section towards the end. Uh, the whole film feels quite comic book in its tone. I don't know if it was based on a comic book or anything, but it's got that kind of element to it. There's, It's kind of straight-faced, but it's humorous, but the humour isn't sort of bang you over the head kind of stuff. It's kind of dark, 
quirky, off-kilter kind of humour. It's kind of uh, little asides and character mm. elements and stuff. There's some really nice little moments in there, uh, which I wasn't expecting. I thought it was going to be a much darker uh, darker film as they travel. There's some, you know, we've got the character development as the journey takes place. We find a bit more about the couple and, and, and what their motivations are and uh, how they relate to each other. I, uh, they, they encounter the, um, the the family in the, the when they're looking in the store uh, early in the film, uh, and he's kind of desperate. The guy's desperate to invite them back to his house, yeah. and you just know something's no, up with the guy. He's, not, uh, right <laughs> he's so nice, but uh, like you know, shooting people, and, and his son is shooting some people as well, and, and he's just sort of his priorities just seem all wrong, <laughs> hmm. uh, and that that has. You know what you you get a payoff with that, which is quite nice. Some of the characters sort of seem to encounter every each other a bit too conveniently at times. You kind of think, well, how did they catch up with them, and how did they end up crossing paths? You know, when they're on this really long journey uh, at times. But um, yeah, some would say it's quite. Some of the characters are quite comic book. There's the guy with the straight razor with his mm. sort of gimp you know, big muscle bound guy that he, he wants to watch them fight and stuff that sort of very cartoonish. You sort of feel like I've seen quite a lot of that kind of thing hmm. before, but yeah, I, I'm not familiar with the director or what else he's done or what he, what he would be doing, but you know, it's a very polished film. Um, and I would definitely be, it would definitely be one I'd recommend. Yeah. He isn't, the director is um, Mike P. Wilson, Nelson. Um, he hasn't done much as a director from what I can see. Oh, he's really done a, a wrong turn film. Well, that's coming up next, anyway. Um, yeah, various bits and pieces, but mostly a TV series called Studio Luma he's been involved in. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you with the episodic nature of the film it is. And you have to give it a pass for this sort of, you know, the, the premise is ludicrous that these gangs would form so quickly that, that people would, you know, in, end up sort of going to these specific, very specific um, <laughs> tropes of people, you know, yeah. gamblers or, you know, I think the nailers go around just, you know, they're basically homicidal maniacs killing people. You've got the, the plowboys who are sex traffickers, basically, Um yeah, the sheets seem to be like paramilitary guys. Um, it was the other one, and then you got the gamblers and the cherries are a sort of um, gang of lesbians, basically. Um, and in fact, the, um, the character of the cherry who, who gets captured and then sort of gets, you know, she frees herself and kills half of the plowboys, um, and is going around sort of trying to rescue women. She she was one of my favourite characters in the film, and one of my favorite scene funny enough is when um kate bosworth's character wakes up and her husband sort of left a few notes around the house and he's he sort of found her favorite album in mm. this sort of record collection so she puts it on gets this bottle of whiskey and, and basically just like you know the, the the expression is dance like nobody's watching you know yeah. um it's, it definitely applies to her and she's just like you know dancing like a loon but, but that's one of those subvert your expectations it, kind of moments yeah. in the movie is just like because yeah. it's not what you would expect to have happened <laughs> to, exactly. to her character and, um, and, yeah. and in the fact that you know this this girl you know this woman is, is outside watching her and 
you know, just totally perplexed, but it has this sort of weird smile on her face when it finishes, you know, it's like, that was crazy. <laughs> but, I didn't kind of get right. what was happening with, with that character because she was kind of following them and it seemed like she was helping them and not yeah. interacting with them, sort of crossing paths and following. And then she doesn't really get a very sort of good payoff and she's kind of detached from most of the action. She's not really involved with the main characters, but no, she's quite it, significantly featured. Yeah, because her her storyline is more tied to the Ploughboys, you know the, these um, these sex traffickers, and this, and she abducts one of their sort of top guys, and it it just happens that she sort of stops to finish him off, and then sort of spots what's going on in the distance and follows them. But mm. yeah, no, I, I thought it was really cool that that she sort of you know kept tabs on them as as it went on. Um, yeah, the whole yeah. film's very atmospheric. I don't think I said that. I think it's got a really great atmosphere. The the bit where the intro where they underplay what happened, kind of thing, which I know is, is done in a lot of things. Of like, they just sort of you get a glimpse, mm. uh, yeah, and I, I thought, thought it was that a was great really glimpse cool. as well. I thought I thought that shot. Of it's good, no, really good. I thought it was really good. You know, you, you just get this. You, you get everything you need from it, you know, this sort of sense of finality and dread. You know? And then you've got the story, sort of like the big, the wider world is mm. is covered by the radio hosts, which I guess is a you know reference to stuff like John Carpenter. Mm. Of There's this. a nice bit as well with that, because he thought, you know, I've watched the film twice, and he actually sort of foreshadows a lot of what actually happens in the film, you know, because because he mentions about the guy with the, the straight razor and, and things like this. So, oh, right. Because yeah, yeah, okay. at the time, the first time I watched it, I went, who's this guy? You know, <laughs> But yeah, he's um, some sort of notorious serial killer going around sort of slicing people up. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, the, you know, the gore effects are, are really well done. The, um, yeah, the, the sort of the the gunplay and things that come into it. I, I, I like the fact that even though they're called the domestics, they're actually hard as nails. <laughs> you know, well, you, yeah, again, it's a, it's this other thing of subverting your expectations. Like him, he's when you first, the, the main character, yeah. uh, the main, the male lead, when you first meet him, he seems quite Milk-toast. gentle and, you know, and, yeah. and, and suburban and stuff. And obviously they've survived for a reason hmm. and you get evidence of that. You know, it's pretty some of what happens is pretty hardcore. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the in the interest of full disclosure, mm. this isn't a DTV movie, but it may as well have been. Uh, it only appeared on about twenty screens when it was released by uh, Universal Pictures, I think, back in August. Took it only took about thirty thousand, mm. and then started to make its way onto video on demand, and is now currently on Netflix. Yes. Um... Yeah, as I said, I really enjoyed this film. It was one of the big surprises for me for last year. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something really profound then. No, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was it. Because um, the flip side was uh, Future World, the one directed by... Um, yeah. um, James Franco. James Franco. Uh, you know, that looked like it should have been the classic sort of uh, Mad Max slash Turbo Kid kind of, kind of film, and it wasn't. It was just mundane and boring and horrible, apart from one great scene with Milo Jovovich. This uh, um, puts everything right, basically. You know, th- this is exactly as pulpy and as action-packed as you as it it needs to be, um, and it's it's got a great climax as well, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, you know, long may it continue. 
may they get around to doing a sequel at some point. So I'm giving this one an 8 out of 10. And I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. It's time for a new segment. This is, at the moment, we're going to call it the throwback. Um, so this is where we're going to be looking at films which we kind of overlooked or, or was, you know, came out long before um, the DTV Digest kicked off. Um, but films that we feel are worthy of note and maybe you should sort of dig into the back catalogue of Amazon or Netflix or whatever, wherever we find these films. Um, and for the very first one, uh, we're kicking off with a film called The Convent, which I have to admit I had never seen before. Rich, over to you. Well, this came back way in uh, in two th- way back in two thousand uh, originally. It uh, was made in two thousand as well by uh, director Mike Mendez, who I think we've talked about quite a bit in the past uh, with films like Don't Kill It. Yep. Uh, and uh, his first film was Killers. I think this was his second movie. So this was released originally uh, by Third Millennium on VHS, uh, which I treasured my copy for many years. It's a favourite of mine. Uh, it then came out on DVD through Metrodome, and I think Metrodome might have actually owned Third Millennium, but I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, so five years later, it's coming out on DVD. And then I think I'm not sure if it's the first time it's ever been on VOD. It might have been released by other people, but recently... Uh, it just turned up on Amazon Prime, uh, released by Multicom Entertainment Group, uh, in a fairly rough version, but nonetheless, uh, good to see it back again. Mike, how did you find your first experience of The Convent? Oh my God, how have I missed this film before? Um, this is a film that just slaps you in the face right from the offset. It, it, um, you know, it opens with this girl, Clarissa, um, entering this convent, cigarette dangling from her lips. Um, baseball swing. Is it Christine? Not the other. Sorry, yeah. bloody IMDb bastard. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so you know, she enters this convent and basically beats the living shit out of a bunch of nuns and and gives the um, the priest a, a gut full of shotgun lead. Um, it is, you know, that particular opening scene is just really well shot, really well scored. You know, it it's just really sets the mood. And then we jump forward um, twenty years. And a sorority is decided they're going to be the ones who are going to slap their, or going to graffiti their um, sort of Kai Papa Gamma name across the top of it. Um, and things don't go to plan, basically. It's it's just a lot of fun. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of Joss Whedon's um, Buffy scripts at times. Mm. Um, there's a whole thing where one of the characters comes across um, some would-be Satanists who who are sort of like in the middle of doing a, um, a satanic ritual, um, and the dialogue is is straight out of Buffy. It's it's just really really well done. There's some nice other references that turn up. Um, Sixteen Candles gets a name drop, which I thought was really cool. Um, there's another one which I can't remember. Um, and and kind of like the, the you know the leprechaun returns one we we covered you know there's there's definitely a sort of a feminist slant to it as well um the, you know the guys come, don't come off particularly well in this um particularly one character who just doesn't understand the concept of no um which, which is it's it's done for laughs but you know 20 years later it's like you <laughs> 
Um, some of the effects are done sort of a bit weirdly, sort of, sort of a lot of sort of neon makeup and things, which give it a sort of a bit more sort of campy, sort of schlocky look. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way, you know, it's lit as well, sort of, you know, lots of sort of purples and greens and things. Yeah. But, but there's, you know, it's just some nice little character moments, like the two, the two um, policemen, you know, who are having to put up with this shit every year, basically. You know, every year someone tries to come here and tries to open up the portal to, to hell or whatever, um, which which I thought was um, quite nice. And again, it's a, it's a little bit of Buffy sort of in, in that as well. Notably played by Bill Mosley and Coolio. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know when, because I, I didn't really know Bill Mosley at the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's watching it all these years later. And I'm like, oh, Bill, Mo- Bill Mosley, yeah. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. previously, it was all about Coolio. Mm, yeah. So they they have some nice scenes. Basically, the funny thing about this one is all the characters are shits. Basically, yeah. none of them are really that nice, even though a couple of them have got more positive traits. But the it's the typical set. I mean, again, sort of you, you mentioned Joss Whedon. There's that kind of cabin in the woods element to it mm. of you know referencing uh, cl- cl- classic horror cliche of a bunch of teenagers. Go to a place where right, horrific so, so, stuff's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, some, somebody alludes to uh, Scooby Doo at some point. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. doing all that. Um, but it is that uh, you mentioned earlier the the Satanists, mm. the characters. Th- those scenes with them are my favourite part of the whole movie. <laughs> mm. I just think this this film's got a really cool script, and it's it's the kind of movie you can revisit, and like has lots of quotable lines in it. Yeah. And the, the when the and the the Satanist guy, like the main Satanist character, when he turns up, to me, uh, I just felt straight out of Monty Python. He's like, he's, he's got that look about him. He goes, and he's they do that subverting the expectation kind of thing. He comes in, and then he's got this really sort of shrill voice. He goes, "I have arrived." <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh, the other the other bits like uh, lies, lies. <laughs> Because I grew up doing this low English accent kind of thing. Love it. Is it? Is it? Mo sort of turns around and goes, "You were serving me so like a milkshake last week at the mall or something." Yeah, you work at fucking Dairy Queen. That's it. I love her character as well. To me, it's really disappointing that she died. She was the first. So early. Yeah. She was great. Um, There's a so I mean, and the the sort of big payoff of the movie is when Christine character is brought back at the end of the movie and it's adrian barbeau yeah. doing a full-on kind of sarah connor kind of terminator thing uh, with it on a motorbike with a shotgun which is fantastic the whole film is only about an hour uh, minus the end credits it, you know you take the end credits off it's only just over an hour and 10 minutes long but it's a really good ride uh, I, I i so i'm full of praise for it the the version that's on amazon is very rough looking, uh, as you say, the sort of day glow colours and the fluorescent kind of thing is a very unique aspect to the film, which would I think look really good in a very high definition version, maybe a Blu-ray or something. Mm. Uh, and this is just a bit too rough. Although for me, it was just nice to see it in a widescreen because I'd only ever seen it on the VHS four by three format. So it's good that it's uh, it's still out there and, and getting around, but it just sort of needs a, a better print. So the um, any other thoughts uh, on the film, Mike? Um, not really, no. Um, yeah, just the whole thing with you know Adrian Barbo turning up at the end, I thought was really cool, um, oh. especially with a motorbike sort of driving down the corridors and things. 
Just... And what about the ending with the dog and stuff like that? Yeah, oh, I wish they hadn't done that. <laughs> I really do. I, I, there was, and you know, it's, it's almost as if Bloomhouse had got hold of the film and said, "No, no, let's let's do one more stupid thing right at the end." You know, it didn't need it. You know, let the girls win for God's sake. Just do it. <laughs> I, I thought there's some, there's those little bits that niggle at me, like you know the the, the ending of the movie it's dark and there's like these matte painting shots. Do you remember like the one towards the beginning where the moon is like enormous? Oh, that was really good as well. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then the, like the other one at the end, when it's finished, they yeah. do the other matte painting and it's dark. And then two seconds later, the characters walk out and it's bright sunshine. Yeah. You're like, well, you weren't waiting around. <laughs> yeah. It's like a bit of a bad continuity kind of thing. But the whole film, I think was pretty low budget. I think you can tell that. Yeah. So there's very few locations and, and where, where there are shots, it's all quite, tightly shot mm. uh, especially you see that scene at the when she goes to the convent at the beginning of the movie it doesn't look like a convent it looks like some sort of barn that they've stuck a funny sign up on or something but uh, um, yeah, actually, anyway. the other thing i liked as well is um when we find out what really happened at the, the convent yeah oh yeah, um, yeah. And again, it's almost like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, because <laughs> all the nuns, you know, the nuns are clearly demons, and the, the, you know, the, all the students are just having to sort of go with yeah. it. So there's I mean, something weird going on at school. The teachers are acting a bit strange, and they're all running around with fangs and yeah. white faces and whatever. And, and she's saying, and they're right, it's scrawling "Hail Satan" on the chalkboard, and they're not, they're not even talking properly. <laughs> and they're walking out, and they're caning people, and then bringing out this other. Uh, like cricket bat with yeah, loads of nails stuff. And stuff yeah. <laughs> it just goes really, really absurd. It's a very silly film. It is, but it's it's good fun. And as as we said, you know, if you have got Amazon Prime, it's there for the taking. You know, um, got stuck for something to watch. We recommend The Convent. It's time for our other new feature. This is the short shot. Uh, in this one, this week, we're looking at a short called Earthy Encounters. Um, this is about 15-year-old Kyle, who believes he can see, he can save his dying brother with a plant he's found at the back of a garden centre. The problem is there's a shady, sh shady, shadowy government agency out to destroy it first. Um, now, in the notes uh, on um, Amazon... It does mention that this is pretty much a homage to the films of like Spielberg, um, and you can definitely see that in this. But it is a British film, um, you know, with British actors, and I had sort of serious trepidations going into it. I thought it was going to be mopey and horrible, but it turns out to be life affirming and absolutely brilliant. Very well directed, very well edited and acted um until you get to the final shot which we didn't really need but this was really really delightful rich yes yeah, so i i liked it a lot as well it's a 25 minute film i think made in cotswolds or at least that's sort of set somewhere around there and the characters are all there's a nice sort of interplay you don't get a lot of exposition uh, about what's going on with and where it where the because uh, it's all about this special plant and where it came and the, the government agents and whatever are after it. They don't kind of set all that up particularly, I didn't think, but that's fine. You know, they just kind of get on with it and they focus on the character development. And there's, an, there's that nice, um, he's the, lo the lone hero, the lone young hero uh, kind of character we've seen in other stuff, you know, including the it and Summer of 84 and stuff like that. But this is much more, of, as you say, very specifically 
a throwback to Spielberg. So we're, we're talking something more like a Super 8 kind of thing here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with uh, the, the sort of the girl love interest who kind of comes in, sort of, you know, help him along. And then we get a nice bit of action with a go-kart running around and smashing through that at the end. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. The, um, uh, they say a sort of Spielberg re- referencing, basically this is E.T., there's, yeah. uh, there's not really a lot of anything else uh, going on in there and it's, it's you know healing and stuff we get all that, that kind of thing but the, the, the it's all terrifically uh, well done i think it was made like last year and it's been doing the festival circuit and it's just again very just recently just turned up on uh, amazon prime mm. the um i just want to mention uh, another apart from recommending this there was another film, another British film that was made in that sort of 90, you know, evoking those sort of 1980s movies, uh, similarly, equally low budget. But it was a feature that you, you may or may not have seen uh, called Soul Searcher, which was made yeah. in 2005. Had some pretty cool. It, it, was a, it was almost a little bit ahead of its time. It's kind of got um, a science, uh, sort of a horror, sci-fi, fantasy element to it. And there's... Um, martial arts sequences in there little in there as well that's that's very uh, more sort of more evoking back to the future mm. kind of stuff but that the, these two projects i think would work quite well together and there was another short film recently uh, about 2015 i think called beyond which it's a bit because the title's so generic it's quite hard to find but it's a, it's another really nice Spielberg style story about a young boy, uh, and in this case, trying to save his parents. But getting back on track with um, Earthy Encounters, the the title's a bit clump. Uh, you know, I can see what the, what the title is uh, is about and what yeah. they're trying to use. But as we, I think we've already found in uh, in the show, a couple of times we, we trip over the title. You know, Earthly Encounters or you know something. But the it, it, it's maybe a title that's perhaps being too clever for its own good. I'm not sure. Um, but the poster is excellent. Uh, if, um, you know, look, look if you ever yeah. get, a chance, get a chance to see the poster, it's really nice. Great, great little package, basically. Yeah, the guy playing Kyle, um, Fina Shea, I'm probably ruining his name. Um, he, he's doing a pretty decent impression of Eddie Redmayne in this as well. He's, he's, oh. he's, like, he's like a very young sort of Eddie Redmayne in, mm-hmm. in his sort of mannerisms and his, his sort of the way he comes across, which. You know, and I'm not a big fan of um, his work, but I, th- I thought, you know, this this guy actually sort of worked really well. Um, you know, his, his little ticks and things, kind of, you know, his, his sort of nervousness around people. <laughs> yeah, the girl in it as well. I think I've seen her in um, something recently because mm. uh, uh, I, I think I looked it up and oh, I can't remember. So Jessica Barden, mm. she was in. Uh, she's done various things. She's even been in stuff like Hannah. Yeah, she must have been really young then. But um, yeah, so she's. But I definitely think I saw her in something recently. But the, she was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a small cast. You know, there's only like five characters in the in the film. The the uh, uh, the bad guys who are you know trying to track down the the plant mm-hmm. are you know, doing their silly surveillance kind of bit and they're, you know, they, a lady asks them for help and they just sort of... That was quite you know, funny. Just turn up their notes. <laughs> yeah. So you get, you know, you're establishing just little things to establish that they're the they're not very nice people, and, which was quite 
you know, quite nicely played, I thought. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and you talk about that final shot. I don't know how I feel about it because um, they've kind of, you know, I kind of... I think it overplays it a little bit. Yeah, I think it goes it goes to a without you know wishing to spoil it it goes to a different place, doesn't it? It kind of takes it from yeah. being I'm, one I'm all, thing exactly. to being. I'm, all, all, I'm fine with the whole you know need to save my brother. It's sort of this this plant will cure him. That that sort of thing works, but it's just that final shot where it's like yeah, you just you just nudged it over the line. You just <laughs> just you know just a hair's breadth too far, basically. But anyway. Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. You really enjoyed it. How are we going to score it? Uh, I'm going to give it another seven, I think. Yeah, I think it's definitely worthy of seven. If you've got Amazon Prime, we definitely um, recommend you check out this little short. It's only 25 minutes long. Um, It'll cheer you up. Okay, it's time for the last part of the show. So it's over to Rich for the washing up. We're uh, we're getting a few more releases now, so it's it's, it's been a bit dull uh, on the, you know toward the end of last year, but we've got all sorts of stuff this week. Mm. So um, this is what's basically coming out on DVD either now as you're listening, or you know will be very shortly. Uh, gonna, gonna sort of go through them uh, out of sequence. Just gonna start you know alphabetical order. Gonna start with Keanu Reeves in Siberia. Yeah, I, I'm going to be reviewing this for my other websites very shortly, so I should be able to report back on this one in the next episode. Um, I think the trailer looks great, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it had a it was a it was one of those VOD cinema sort of simultaneous mm-hmm. release things uh, a few a few uh, ago, months ago. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, put out by Signature. Uh, I've I've seen the trailer and I've I don't know it's I, I'm. It's not sold me really. It's a bit like it's a bit like most Keanu Reeves films, unfortunately. Apart, apart from like the stuff like John Wick, mm. his other stuff all tends to fly fairly low on the radar. You know, whether it's stuff like Knock Knock, the Eli Roth mm. film, and uh, he's got that upcoming sci-fi film Replicas, Replicas which I think looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, and the the title, I'm not sure because to me, when it said Siberia, it was evoking wartime sort of you know mm. camps and you know stuff as, as, as you would as you might expect and then it's kind of not that at all it's kind of saying completely different as uh, it feels like it might have been it feels like a the kind of film val kilmer would have made for dtv you know yeah. in the film, thousands yeah, of film noir basically yeah and i think the trailer right. has sort of, the trailers pumped up the action scenes obviously to try and draw in a bit of a john wick crowd no uh-huh. Next. Right, uh, another star-led uh, movie is Olga Kurilenko in Mara, hmm. the producers of Paranormal Activity and Insidious. See, I've seen the trailer for this, and I remember nothing about it. But the fact that Olga's in it makes me want to see it anyway. So there's that. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I didn't hate nor love it, the trailer, that is. And it hasn't sort of made any sort of real lasting impression. So who knows, you know, but the fact that someone like Olga Koryanko in it is, is makes it sort of um, an intriguing prospect. She's stayed, stayed the distance quite well, hasn't she, really? I mean, she's been around since, what, the early 2000s, mid-2000s? Yeah. So... Uh, when she was stuff like Quantum of Solace and uh, not 
what was the other? She did another big film. Well, she did a couple of big films, didn't she? Well, she did Triple X. No, that was that was um, Asia Argento, wasn't it? That yeah, was Triple X was Asia Argento. Yeah. Did she do? Um, uh, no, it wasn't Doom. Did she do a Neil Marshall film at all? I don't think so. Can't remember what she did. Anyway, she's done she a, did few... a French film called Le Serpent, which is really good. So that's worth seeing. Oh yeah, that's the um, from the that was. But I keep meaning to check that out because that was based on a novel by the same guy who wrote Get Carter, I believe. That's right. Yeah, um, and it's got uh, oh, I can't remember the name. Uh, Chris Cornillac, I think, is, is his name. Who I quite liked him, like Scorpion and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's, you know, to be around. There's a film of hers that just turned up again on a streaming service uh, called uh, The Assassin Next Door. Have you That's seen right. that one? I I haven't seen that one. There's a, there's another one on on Netflix that she's in uh, with. Oh, it's set in South Africa. And I can't remember the name of the actor who's in it with her. Um, What's the sound? What's the kind of... Um, well, there's, there's a jewellery heist at the beginning. Um, she and her partner steal something they shouldn't. People come after her, and it's sort of like a chase, sort of very, very gory sort of chase thing going on. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it was shown at Fright Fest a couple of years ago as well, um, for some reason. But mm. it, it's a pretty decent little film. I can't remember. Yeah, so Mara, I'm not particularly sold on from the cover or anything, to be honest. But it's very generic, isn't it? But rain, yeah, it's kind of a rainy day horror movie, as far as I can tell. Uh, moving on, something a bit different. I don't know anything about this one, uh, but it's called Josie, and it stars Sophie Turner, who I'm not familiar with, and Dylan McDermott, who uh, is uh, has been around for quite some time. I was watching him in Miracle on 34th Street uh, over Christmas. Uh, and he is a star I, I do enjoy. He was in a film called The Fear Inside, which I loved. Yeah. It's like a TV movie kind of thing. So, Sophie, yeah, Sophie Turner, um, if you're not a fan of Game of Thrones, then you might not re realise who she is, but she is Sansa Stark in the Game of Thrones series. Um, and also recently taken over as Jean Grey in the um, the X-Men movies. Ah. So, so, yeah. Dark Phoenix. Exactly, they're coming up. But um, yeah, she's she's been in the last couple of um, uh, X Men movies, playing playing the sort of younger version of Jean Grey, mm -hmm. from um, Frampica Jansken, of course. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so yeah, that's that's what you know gets me a bit more interested as well. Interesting cast. Um, don't know anything about the film, as you say, but we'll see. Next up, we have the sequel to Knights of the Damned, uh, which is the second in the Order of Kings film series, and it's called Dragon Kingdom. Now, interestingly, this was, this was released uh, on VOD a couple of weeks ago, I think just before, just after Christmas, hmm. twice. <laughs> it was released in both to its titles, <laughs> which was really weird. Uh, so I don't know why they did that. But, um, you know, kind of to maybe they were doing it to test the waters to see which title would people would respond to most. But anyway, they've chosen the, they've plucked for Dragon Kingdom for the uh, for the DVD. And, you know, it's it's, a, it's one of those very generic fantasy film covers with with uh, no actual shots or actors from the film. They're just kind of, you know, gen generic artwork they've thrown together with lots of. Lots of words all over saying, you know, award-winning producer of Great Game of Thrones, known for Star Wars, Band of Brothers, from the special effects team behind Harry Potter. More dragons than the Hobbit films combined. A fantasy adventure like no other. 
you know, they're, they're really plastering lots of yeah, stuff all over it. I can imagine it is a fantasy adventure like no other. Uh, and the fact that it's got more dragons than the Hobbit films combined, I believe the Hobbit films had one dragon. So <laughs> um, That's not yeah. hard, then. You know, and, and, but we've uh, got Silvio Simak and Zara Pythian and exactly. uh, also so, Hennessy all back again. Yeah, so I, I think this is um, you know one that we will be watching. I imagine to sort of see, you know, how things have improved since the last film, um, if nothing else. So yeah, um, this is this is definitely going to be on our radar. I think. Now the next one up uh, is uh, it's our friend Sylvester Stallone sl- uh, slumming it or, or getting whatever paid work can get. I don't know how, you, how we interpret it, but he is featuring, if not starring, mm-hmm. in a, a thriller called. Well, a, a very generic-looking thriller called Backtrace. It is very generic. Um, I haven't seen this yet. I've got it to watch because um, I'll be writing a review on it for my other website. Mm. Yeah, this this is Stallone sort of sliding into Bruce Willis's shoes of like you know turning up for a couple of days filming and then getting his name plastered all over the credits. Um, yeah, this is a sort of very generic t- tale about a bank robbery. One of the robbers ending up with some sort of amnesia. Can't remember where he hid the loot. Everyone wants to know where the money is. Um, I shall report back on this next time. It looks like a Bruce Willis movie that Bruce Willis was too busy to do. <laughs> yeah. Because well, he's, got, he's uh, doing so many of these other... Because this is... Uh, um, Maybe Bruce like in China at the time, yeah. Yeah, kind of appearing. As, I mean, following its escape. So, Escape Plan Two was really like his, his first big entry into. DTV. He's had yeah into the DTV world. I mean, he's he has made DTV movies before in you know, in, in plenty. You know, when the early two thousands and stuff, when stuff like Get Carter and that was coming out. But this is like properly low budget kind of stuff now. But Escape Plan Two, which uh, I do really want to check out very soon. Um, looks like it might be you know half decent if not you know you know if if, if nothing else whereas this just looks t- like a tv movie or something yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm actually i'm hoping it'll be all right but it, it, it is i felt quite disappointed when i saw the trailer to see that this was the kind of thing that we're getting from stallone now absolutely but at least we've got creed 2 to kind of make up for it i guess True. <laughs> Uh, the next movie is it's an interesting one because it's hardly standard DTV fare. Uh, it's the highly praised Cold War, uh, which is a, a Polish film. Uh, the, the title is a is it's nothing to do. It's not it's not the uh, the Chinese Cold War film or anything to do with the war uh, with with the actual Cold War. It's a relationship drama, black and white art house kind of thing. Uh, so this comes out on DVD uh, next week uh, from Artificial Eye. Uh, and it was put out on VOD at the same time as its cinema release. So it's actually really quite high. Pro- so it's, it, that's why I say it's an interesting one, because it's kind of it's in our wheelhouse as, as in it was made a home entertainment release. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of got there's kind of different motivations behind what's happening there. So this was actually in about 61 cinemas, which isn't a lot, uh, mainly, if not all of them being Curzon cinemas. And it took uh, over a million in its run. That's so this is yeah. this is quite well known. This is quite a big big release. It'll probably you know, but only to a very sort of niche market. Uh, you know, this. So for example, Backtrace, I would be I would expect to see in the top one hundred releases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This 
despite although it is heavily praised i'm not so sure i will so that's why i say it's quite a it's quite an interesting one i do want to check it out at some point uh, purely because i'm interested in some of the polish stuff uh moving on uh i think it might be the last one on the list it is uh all the devil's men right yep so this is directed by the same guy who did uh the veteran about five years ago mm-hmm. um and stars milo gibson the son of mel and you know there are times when he really really looks like mel gibson you know, <laughs> um, a younger version um, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, it's not—it's it, a very—it's a lot like Stratton, in that mm-hmm. it's set in London, um, but it's more cynical than Stratton. Um, it really is. There's a real sort of cynical sort of streak to it. Um, the action is really well done, as as you'd expect. Um, some of it, you know, there's sort of scenes set in like disused factories and things. You know, it's not not the most glamorous locations, but then, you know, the film explains why they're in those sort of locations quite nicely. Uh, so yeah, no, this is this is great. I, I really really enjoyed it. Um, so sort of looking forward to covering it at some point. And I definitely want to see it in a double bill with a veteran, which I still haven't caught up with. So that's yeah, is quite um, something I'm keen to see. What I'm interested about is they they've um, on the DVD mm-hmm. uh, release from in a change from the it's fairly close to the original American poster. We've got the Elizabeth Tower in both of them, mm-hmm. and in in the in the DVD uh, it's exploding. Uh, which I'm not sure actually appears. I'm wondering if it's a bit like London has fallen, where they, which literally put an, uh, you know, like Big Ben is mm. blowing up as the main poster on the cover, which doesn't at all happen in the movie. Uh, and I'm wondering, is that the, oh, is that the it, same? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's got, you know, it's it's not that sort of stakes going on. It's much more sort of smaller, uh, more personal sort of vendors. Um, you know the, the reasoning behind it but it's, it's just really well done you know the, the guys behind this really know what they're doing basically and milo gibson sort of on the rise really i see yeah. with um he had like hurricane and gangster land which uh sort of not didn't really get much traction but had a good cast i might actually check it out now because he's building a bit of a profile and he seems like a guy who's actually it's interesting to check out. And as you say, he does at times look uh, a dead ringer for his dad. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I do recommend this. If you, if you like your sort of strong action films, um, this, this is uh, definitely worth checking out. And we've got William Fickner in it as well. Yes. Yeah. Very good in this. And that's the washing up for this week. And that's the washing up for this week. And it's also the end of the episode. So thank you for listening. Um, May this be the first of lots and lots of DVD films to be covered in 2019. Um, And thanks to Rich for joining me this evening. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Absolutely. And we shall see you on our next episode. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.